baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. yes. Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley and it's time to take a stroll through what's been going on for the Atlanta Braves and the rest of Major League Baseball as we do. Got a lot of exciting things to talk about. The Braves have been playing great baseball. Last we spoke, the Braves were chasing the Phillies. At this point, the Phillies are now chasing the Braves who have opened up a four and a half game lead in the NLE standings as we head into the weekend. And, of course, a lot of big stories happening for the Atlanta Braves, who have the best record in baseball in the month of June. And they're about to have a nice addition to their pitching staff as Dallas Keuchel is set to make his Atlanta debut as the Braves open up a 10-game road trip with the first of a three-game series against the Washington Nationals. So we'll get you set up for the 10-game road trip, but we'll also look back on what was an outstanding 10-game homestand for the Braves, and we'll do it all on this episode of From the Diamond. We'll also hear from a good friend of mine and a voice that you may know. He's one of the voices of the Braves from the Braves Radio Network. He is Ben Ingram. He will join the show to talk about everything going on with the Braves and give you a little bit of insight on how exactly he made it to the major leagues and the road that he traveled to get to SunTrust Park this year behind a microphone to bring you all the action of the 2019 Atlanta Braves. So excited about this show. And if you're excited about it, I invite you to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave a rating and a review. I very much appreciate those. And be sure you're following along on Twitter. You can find the show at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley. That's G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And FromTheDiamond.com, you can find every episode and all the other good stuff that we'll have for you throughout baseball season and all year long. Again, FromTheDiamond.com. So let's dive into the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, and let's call it the week or so that it was because it was an impressive 10-game homestand which saw the Atlanta Braves go 8-2, and and that's all part of a great June. The Braves have the best record in MLB this month. They are 14-4. and Atlanta's belting home runs left and right. Most homers in baseball this month, 26 of those, just came in the 10-game homestand. Braves scoring 84 runs, batting 327 as a team across those 10 games as well. When that homestand began, the Braves were trailing the Phillies by a game. And now as we sit here heading into Friday night's action and the beginning of a 10-game road trip, the Braves have a four-and-a-half game lead in the National League East. So how quickly things have changed. Of course, taking two out of three from the Phillies on the homestand was a big reason why. But sweeping the Pirates and also taking two of three from the Mets it was an outstanding homestand for the Braves. And let's hear from one of those men who was right in the middle of everything. He is all-star first baseman Freddie Freeman, who, of course, is looking for another trip to the all-star game. So I hope you're voting early and often. Freddie has been absolutely on fire of late, and he loved what he saw on this homestand. We've been swinging the bats really well. I mean, you could tell Josh was very, very close. And for him to jump right in, and we've scored a lot of runs. We've hit a lot of home runs. And... If we got Josh back to being Josh Donaldson, um, this is going to be a fun year. The Braves' offense is clicking. I mean, this is a club that's on pace for 246 home runs. And I've talked about this a lot on the Braves Radio Network over the past month or so. Once you start getting to that halfway point of the season, mathematically speaking, the Braves are only a few games away from game number 81. They'll reach that plateau on this upcoming road trip. But on pace for 246 home runs, that would establish a new franchise record. And the thing I keep talking about is that 2003 team. That was a club that had a Hall of Famer in Chipper Jones on the squad. It had Gary Sheffield. It had Javi Lopez. It had Andrew Jones. It had multiple guys hitting 20-plus home runs. And I think we're going to see that again in 2019 because the Braves lineup has been one of, if not the very best in the National League over the last month-plus now since they decided to shuffle things around. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I want to talk about someone in particular, especially on this homestand, that was just one of those feel-good highlights and a guy that really stepped up. And 
He's a guy that you know pretty well. It's Brian McCann, the veteran catcher who re-signed with Atlanta over the winter. He felt like he had a lot left to give, a lot left in the tank, and he is really heating up. He and Nick Markakis both reached their 1,000th career RBI. That's something that you don't see twice in the span of a week too incredibly often, so a little bit of history for both those men, but also a big reason why the Braves were winning all those games on this recent homestand. McCann hit 348 with four homers. He knocked in nine runs. He scored six more, and he walked four times as well. And the return of Brian McCann has been something that the Braves were very excited about. Freddie Freeman was openly campaigning for it, and I know that the Braves are happy with the production they're getting behind the plate. And when you stack that into this lineup, you have seven different spots in the order that are capable of providing you double-digit home runs already at this point in the season. So a big reason why that Braves offense is on that historic home run pace, Brian McCann right in the middle of that. And for Brian, really, what it started with was getting himself healthy. He had knee surgery to get that corrected. And for Brian McCann, coming into 2019, it was all about getting healthy. My knee was, you know, I've probably played on it two years where now that I look back, you know, it's probably hurt me for a little bit there. So once I got it fixed and I came back in September last year, I knew that, you know, I could make an aggressive move on the baseball. So I'm healthy. I feel good. You know, I got my bat speed back, so it's just uh, it's been nice to get healthy. When a player's healthy and swinging the bat well and confident, there's an opportunity to really have a good season, and that's what Brian McCann's been able to do coming in, recognizing that you know it was going to take some work to get back where he needed to be, and that's something else he concentrated on this winter so that he would return with the Braves ready to go. I just went into the offseason and kind of changed everything. You know, Me and my brother got to work, and I stuck to it through spring training, and you know, I'm just – I'm getting back to being a complete hitter instead of uh you know going up there looking to turn and burn uh every pitch so it's been a game changer for me so brian mccann is adding a lot of value behind the plate working with the young pitching staff he's also providing some serious value in the lineup and that's something that freddie freeman among others has definitely taken note of makes me smile i knew brian had a lot left i mean he's a brave um, getting his first RBI in a Braves uniform, getting his thousand. I couldn't have scripted any better for him, for him to have such a huge impact this whole season, not just his homestand. What him and Tyler are doing as a combo right now, you, it's pretty much what Tyler and Kurt did the last couple of years. And the output that they've been doing behind the plate, what they've done with this young pitching staff, um, that's why we're in first. And there you hear it. I mean, Freddie's excited about having Brian McCann back in a Braves uniform, but he's not the only one because discussing what McCann brings to the Braves in the clubhouse is a whole nother conversation because it's not just what does he do in the lineup or what does he do behind the plate. It's what he does all around that makes such an impact on the pitching staff and on the team as a whole. And it's something that's made him such a fan favorite as well. A guy who grew up in the Atlanta area watching the Braves all these years is shortstop Dansby Swanson. He's now teammates with Brian McCann, and he said it's been pretty easy to see why McCann has been such an integral part of so many clubs for so many years. I think he personifies like the ultimate baseball player more than his physical ability of being able to hit. Because, I mean, the guy can hit, like, still today, like, he can hit. And his ability behind the plate to control the pitching staff, to call games, to control games is special. But, I mean, just all the intangibles that you would, I mean, I don't have kids, but that you'd want your kids to be like, you know, on the baseball field. And the things that he sees and the things that he takes pride in, the details that he looks into because he knows that they will qualify, you know, to be a championship team and put you in those moments. Those are the things that, like, I can't thank him enough for, just for the value that it brings to our team and just to kind of, like, personally to learn from and, and to understand the importance of, the preparation and, and more than just like your generic preparation you know how can you dive deeper you know and it's special especially in this day and age man I mean you know I think everyone knows analytics is a big part of the game and everything and you know he, he does such a tremendous job of, of that balance of the analytics but also what a baseball mind would say and you know I'm, I'm so glad that he's here he's back and that he was able to do what he did tonight I mean you can't script it any better honestly you know tremendous. Brian McCann, not the only Brave who was swinging a big bat over the homestand. In fact, you had a lot of them to choose from, but one that people had their eye on was third baseman Josh Donaldson. 
He started the season slowly, and by Josh Donaldson's standards, was nowhere close to the guy that you were thinking could put up MVP-type numbers. All of a sudden, though, the switch was flipped for Josh Donaldson as well, and he started cranking out those home runs, getting those big hits in big situations for the Braves, and he has a very important job. Josh Donaldson, the cleanup man batting behind Freddie Freeman, I think is a big reason why Freddie Freeman is putting up some eye-popping numbers this year. But Donaldson, just like everyone, was well aware that his swing wasn't quite where he wanted it to be. Obviously, the results weren't what he wanted to be, so he went to work, and the results speak for themselves. He batted 385 on the homestand with six home runs, 11 runs knocked in, and seven more runs scored. And for Donaldson, it was all about getting the swing right. I felt like in the Miami series, I was starting to feel like myself again. I was just barely missing some balls. I was hitting some balls in the air, uh, some big fly balls. I felt like I was right there, and it was just a matter of time. The other day, being able to get on the field, get some early work, kind of in a relaxed environment to where I could just work at my own pace, you know, see some breaking balls. And over the course of this weekend, I mean, I... I don't know how many hits that I had, but I think I had five or six on off speed. And that's just something that I've been kind of lacking really all year and having that freedom and then taking a couple of change-ups and being able to hit them out the ballpark. That's, you know, that's more like what I do. So Josh Donaldson is right in the middle of the Braves lineup, and it's one that has become one of the most potent in all of the National League. Since the Braves shuffled their lineup and moved Ronald Acuna Jr. to the top of the order, Dansby Swanson to two, leaving Freddie Freeman at three, putting Josh Donaldson at four, then, of course, Nick Markakis, and the emergence of Austin Riley, who's belted 11 home runs in about a month in the big leagues as well. This is a lineup that is hard to find places to go for outs because it doesn't stop at the sixth spot, and Riley, it moves on to seven, whether that's Ozzie Albies or Brian McCann or Tyler Flowers, and, of course, eight, depending on how you mix and match those three. One through eight, this Braves lineup has been absolutely on fire and especially in the month of June, as they've been leading baseball in most offensive categories, including runs scored over the first 18 games that they've played this month. Since the Braves shuffled their lineup back on May the 10th when they were a game under 500, Atlanta has gone 26-11 and and have the second-best record in the National League overall now, second only to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Freddie Freeman, as I mentioned earlier, he's been raking 21 home runs for him, the most he's had prior to the All-Star break. He's leading the league in RBI and runs scored in the month of June. It could be an MVP season for the Braves' first baseman. I know Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich are putting up the big numbers elsewhere, but Freddie Freeman, with the Braves winning, is going to build a pretty good MVP case. In my opinion, he's certainly in that top three, and he might sneak into that top spot if he continues to hit the way he has in the month of June. But as I mentioned, this lineup, it's not just about Freddie Freeman anymore. A couple of years ago, that might have been the case. But as I just mentioned, you've got Acuna, Swanson, Freeman, Donaldson, Marcakis, Riley, Albies, McCann, or Flowers. And that one through eight is absolutely potent. And a guy who's been in the middle of that for much of the season, the veteran Nick Marcakis, who very understated, he tends to let his work on the field do the talking for him. But he recognizes exactly what kind of threat this lineup poses to opposing pitcher. It's fun when everybody's going at the same time. You know, that's ultimately what you strive for. You know, we're getting pitching, defense, and offense right now. And uh, you know, no matter who we're facing, that makes it tough for them. You know, when you have all three going, you know, it's usually good signs for us and uh, you know, bad news for the other guys. Now you've got some young hitters in this lineup, but a couple of the veterans, in particular, in Freeman and McCann. Freddie has spent his entire career in Atlanta. Brian, meanwhile, made a stop in New York to play for the Yankees and, of course, played for the Astros prior to coming back to the Braves. For Freeman, early in his career, the Braves had much of their success before exploding back onto the scene in 2018. But this starting lineup may just be the best one that he's been involved in. When Ronald steps in the box from the bottom of the first or top of the first, it's go time. That pitcher is, needs to be on his game immediately. And Dansby's been putting up huge ABs all year and, you know, coming through three, four, and five. And then you got Austin sitting in the six hole now. It's... I don't know what they can do, and then Ozzy's been swinging the bat great. So, and um, it, it's fun trying to watch opposing managers get through our lineup, and um, they haven't been succeeding the last couple of weeks. And when you look at McCann, the case is a little bit different. Yes, he was part of some great Braves lineups early in his career and throughout the early part of this decade, but going to New York and playing with a team that has multiple superstar players—that's a little bit different animal. Going out to Houston and playing again with a team that has 
multiple MVP and all-star level hitters, that's a little bit different. But here in Atlanta in 2019, Brian McCann believes that this group may be as good as any that he's been a part of. It's up there. I mean, we, um, I've been fortunate to play with some really good players, mm-hmm. and uh, this lineup stacks up right there with, with, with the best of them. So this is fun. So you've got to love what the Braves lineup is doing. This offense and the depth that the Braves have this year has been a huge reason for their success. And it's not just one guy or two guys anymore that's making contributions. It could be a different guy every night. And it doesn't matter if it's the first inning, the seventh inning, or the ninth inning, or any inning in between, one and nine, or extra innings, or whatever it may be. This Braves team has shown it is resilient. It can score runs in bunches. And that has been a big part of the Braves' success, and that has been on display for the world to see in the month of June. Meanwhile, another big story for the Braves is, of course, the arrival of Dallas Keuchel. Atlanta's going to slot him into rotation to begin their three-game weekend series against the Washington Nationals. Dallas Keuchel really needs no introduction. We've talked about him a lot over the last couple of weeks. What you do need to know is he got himself ready to pitch pretty much immediately for the Braves, because he was throwing those sim games for about the five or six weeks, seven weeks leading up to his signing. Keiko went down to Rome, tossed seven innings there, had no trouble in low A, as you wouldn't imagine he would. Over in Mississippi, another seven-inning stint, up over 100 pitches. So the Braves feel like he's ready to go, and they're going to get this guy in rotation. Former Cy Young Award winner, which it's kind of ironic in some way or maybe just coincidental that the Braves have the 2015 American League Cy Young Award winner and Dallas Keuchel joining their rotation. They're hoping that he's going to step in and stabilize that group. And stabilizing the middle of the Braves lineup is the 2015 American League MVP, Josh Donaldson, who's been swinging the bat extremely well. So a couple of award winners from the other league have come over and are looking to turn back the clock and put up those kind of numbers that led to that kind of hardware. And, of course, the winning that oftentimes goes with being recognized as being among the best in baseball. For Keuchel, I think that the expectation will be a guy that can give you six or seven innings each and every night. I'll be interested to see how the Braves bring him along. The pitch count is up, so I don't think there's going to be any limitation whatsoever. But just getting him comfortable again, if it takes three or four starts for him to reassimilate to the major league game after a long layoff, keeping in mind the last time he started a big league game was in the playoffs last October. Minor league starts are great. The sim games are great in terms of building up your endurance and the stamina and being ready to go out there and physically compete. But competing at the major league level, of course, is an entirely different animal, something I'm sure won't take a long time for Dallas Keuchel to remember what to do. But it'll be a little bit different, I think, and and different in a good way, different in a challenging way. And I'm sure there's going to be some excitement and some anticipation for him as he finally gets back on the big league mound. And that's going to happen on Friday night. The Braves have this 10-game road trip coming up, and it's going to be a big one. If you think about what the Washington Nationals are facing, they have fallen in the standings so far behind the Braves that every game for them at this point is almost must win because they have to figure out, are they buying or selling, or, or what exactly is the 2019 season for them Is it already a lost campaign? I mean, their bullpen has been so incredibly bad that the Nationals have really pushed themselves out of the race in a lot of ways. So I don't think that they're going to be in a place, if they're still well under 500 and seven, eight, nine games back in the division, that they're going to go out and do any buying. But will Mike Rizzo and company decide maybe we'll do a little bit of selling? And if so, exactly how much? So some decisions to be made for Rizzo and company as they figure out what exactly the Washington Nationals are this year and moving forward. Remember, it's a team that spent a lot of money over the winter and probably wasn't planning to sit at home in October and watch everybody else, including the Atlanta Braves, playing meaningful baseball games if that's how the season plays out. So the Nationals will be the first stop. Then you'll go to Chicago, where you've got four games with the Cubs. This is not the Cubs team that the Braves faced back in April when they swept them at SunTrust Park. This is a Cubs team that has now asserted itself in the National League Central race. They've got a lot of great players. Of course, we already knew that. And they might be adding Craig Kimbrell, their big signing, at some point during that series. And he's down pitching in minor league games and could be facing his old team, the Braves, for the first time in a Cubs uniform. That could be one of the, I don't want to say highlights, but one of the things that you want to watch for in that series. But for the Braves, the job is same as it ever was win these games, and maybe Craig Kimbrell won't be throwing with the opportunity to save one for the Chicago Cubs. 
if the Braves offense continues to do what it's been doing to start the month. And then the Braves will wrap up their road trip with another series against the New York Mets, this one up at City Field. And the Braves will look to finish strong on that 10-game road trip and win another series against their division rival in the New York Mets. So that's what's going on with the Atlanta Braves, who have been red hot in the month of June. And my guest right now has had a front row seat or, well, one of the best seats in the house to watch what the Braves have been doing. I'm joined by Ben Ingram, of course, to the Braves Radio Network. Ben and I work together there and at 680 The Fan. We've talked a lot of baseball over the years, Ben, but glad to finally have you on the podcast. And, man, do we have a fun team to talk about. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It's going to be a lot of fun for us. All right, well, I'm looking forward to diving into all of this because we've got a lot of fun things to talk about with the Braves. And after what we've seen the last few years, I think Braves fans and the team itself, of course, and everybody associated with the Braves is excited to see the kind of baseball that the Braves are playing these days. It's been an exciting season so far. And after the surprising year that we got in 2018, we're really seeing things come together this summer, I think, in ways that maybe – people had not even anticipated. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I don't think any of us could have anticipated what we've seen in the last 30 games. Uh, I think we all expected this team to be a contender. I think we thought that there'd be a shot for them to go back and do what they did last year. But this last month, I think, has made a believer out of a lot of people. I think it's made a lot of people feel like they could do much more damage come October than what they did last year. I think last year was a good foundation you had opportunities for guys who are really young to, to see what it's like to play on the biggest stage and play in the postseason. And I think they've taken that and it's given them a, a deeper hunger for, for what they want to accomplish now and getting back there for this season and seeing what else they can do. But last year when I saw the Braves take on the Dodgers in the postseason, I, I saw a team that didn't have near the depth in the rotation, didn't have near the depth in their bullpen, and they certainly didn't have near the depth that the Dodgers had in their lineup top to bottom. And what I've seen in the last month is a a team that has lots of depth in their lineup, and I think that's helped mask some of the issues that they have on the mound, which is good because that's that's going to buy some time. And I'm pretty confident that Alex Anthopoulos will be able to add the right pieces or or piece or whatever it may be to this team that will allow them to not only win a division but really give it a hard run in October. I think that's what the expectation has to be. So. This lineup top to bottom is really, really good. And so long as they are healthy, I think we all feel very confident in their abilities. I think that Austin Riley has been a big part of that. I think Ronald Acuna going to the top of the order is a big part of that. I think Dansby Swanson starting to develop into the player we thought that he could be offensively is a big part of that batting second. So it's a lineup that I'm very, very excited about. And now what can they do with their rotation? What can they do with their bullpen? And I'm excited to see what may happen between now and the trade deadline because once they complete all that, I think they may have a team that is that is ready not only to just be in the postseason but to make some noise once you get to October. That'll be exciting for all of us. No doubt about it. Let's peel back the layers on some of that. And, and I want to start with just this homestand in general because the Braves were scoring runs right and left, hitting home runs right and left. I mean, and as you went into SunTrust Park each and every night, and I'm sure that you noticed this just from your vantage point, but – it really felt like, especially in that Philly series, that you had a playoff atmosphere. I mean, I know that there was a playoff game or a couple of playoff games at SunTrust Park last year, but there was an electricity. And we're talking about the middle of June here, and that has to be something that really translates not just the energy that the fans are having as they enjoy the game, but also down onto the field where I'm sure the players are really feeling like not only are they playing great baseball, but, hey, we've got an awful lot of support here. That had to be an awful lot of fun for a 10-game sample size there to feel what it could be like to jump into that pennant race and really get the entire fan base and all the Braves country behind them. I think it confirmed not only to the players, but to the fan base, what could be in store. You're right. It's, it was mid June and, and you're looking at the schedule and you're thinking, okay, there's 90 some odd games left at that point, but this is what it's supposed to feel like. And I think we, we realize how big these series are, especially at home against divisional foes. I don't know what's going to happen in the final 80 some odd games of the year, but the Mets and the Nationals seem to be sinking, the Mets especially, when they just fired their pitching coach in the last 48 hours. The Nationals have been perhaps the biggest underachiever in Major League Baseball, and the Phillies seem to be showing some holes. And They've got a good offense, and I like some of the pitchers that they have, obviously, but I don't think they're near as athletic as the Braves are. Mm-hmm. I think the Braves are deeper. So seeing that series made, I think I think it made a believer out of a lot of people, and I think it confirmed – not only to the players, but to the fan base, this is what it could be. And sure, maybe there's a long way to go, but I I feel like what we saw is a glimpse of what could be because you're right. 
that that felt like a, a postseason situation. It felt like a, a postseason series, and to have that kind of an atmosphere at that point of the season makes me feel like okay, people are are really latching onto this team. I think they're having a lot of fun following this team. I've heard multiple people say this is my favorite Braves team that I've seen in 25 wow. years or 30 years or whatever it may be. I saw someone. Uh, that I know from back home said, I've, I haven't had this much fun following the Braves since 1991. That's a major statement. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a team that is not only winning, but it's a team that's fun to follow because of the personalities that they do have. And I, and I think I think folks are very excited about it. And if you need proof, just look at that Philly series. Yeah, that Philly series, I think, said a lot both to the team and, of course, to the fan base, as you're mentioning. And as you look at what the Braves were accomplishing and the way that they were doing it, it was offense first. And that's been something that, I don't think we've said about the Braves in quite some time. Every time we turn around, somebody's talking about, oh, this is the best offensive team for the Braves since 2003 when they set their home run record and were, you know, scoring all those runs. And this we haven't seen in quite some time. And it kind of goes counter to all of the times that we've looked at the Braves and thought, well, we want to build around pitching, including the rebuild, which was almost done exclusively, it felt like, with uh, stockpiling pitching prospects and whatnot. But all of a sudden, some of those young players that came to the Braves and through the system in those lean years, all of a sudden those guys are at the center of this thing. We got the Ronald Acuna show in 2018. He's putting together a pretty good encore this year, but we also got the Austin Riley show this year, and that's been an exciting addition to this lineup. I think everyone was definitely looking forward to seeing what he was going to bring, but I don't think anybody could have expected what he has done over his first month plus in the big leagues. It's been eye-popping. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how anyone could have expected this because it seemed like with each passing home run, we were saying he's the youngest player to do X, Y, or Z since right. whomever. And it seemed like every list that he was on, Grant, he was on there with, you know, here's Ted Williams, here's Harmon Killebrew, here's Joe DiMaggio. And it's, it just doesn't even seem real. Uh, I, I think that's a major part of what this team has done because you're talking, I mean, think about the depth that they have. I mean, he's been hitting fifth and sixth most nights, and he's run out there and put up 11 home runs and, and just over 120 at-bats this year. Uh, it's amazing to see someone that young, but – Going back to your original point, this is what we all we hoped that this would come together when we when we saw a farm system loaded with talent. Well, that that's great, and it makes everybody feel good. And you look at the prospect list now, and it still makes you feel really good. But those lists mean absolutely nothing unless those guys become the players that you hope that they're going to become mm-hmm. and help you win at the big league level. Uh, it's great to have all the prospects in the world, but are they going to mature to the level to where they're difference makers in the, in the big leagues? And you're seeing that now with Soroka and Riley and Acuna and Albies and Swanson. I mean, that's five guys right there. And just as recently as, as three, four years ago, we were talking about them being top ten prospects. Is this guy going to become this? And is that guy going to become that? And they have. And I think they've done it, Grant, at a higher ratio than than you're than you're used to seeing. I think when it comes to prospects, you, you show me a top ten, and I'll show you probably three or four guys tops that might become what you hope that they're going to become. I think prospect lists are littered with guys who are highly rated, but never reach those levels of expectations that I think fans and, and teams set for them. And what you're seeing right now is guys who are coming along and, and reaching that level at a higher ratio as a collective group than what you're used to seeing. And I think that's what the Braves need to have, Granted, It's not just about having good players, but I think you need good players at an affordable price. You can't be the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox and have a $225 million payroll. It's just not going to work here. You have to have those two, three, four guys who are difference makers who don't have enormous contracts. And to me, that's the recipe. You've got to be selective with the contracts that you do have. You have to hit on your trades. You have to hit on your signings. But, man, you need a steady pipeline of guys who are coming up and, and making differences that, that aren't cars tossing an arm and a leg and all that. So, uh, to me, the recipe is there. Uh, and, 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 I, and I really am I'm very, very impressed with some of these young guys that we have seen because while they'll show uh, signs of, of growing pains here and there, like Acuna defensively over the last few weeks, he, he's shown some, some growing pains in center field, but he's getting there. You're still seeing these guys trend in the right direction. Mike Soroka to me is becoming, he's showing ace-like stuff out there. And and I don't know what he'll look like once we get into August and September and he's reaching uh, innings totals that he's never hit before. But I'm I'm very confident in his ability because he seems so sound mentally and and physically his stuff is is so good. 
So that, that's really exciting to be able to count on that many young guys who have come up through this pipeline and now helping one of the big league level. Yeah, they certainly are. Austin Riley, just the latest in a long list. And you mentioned some of the others making big time contributions this year, whether it be offensively speaking when it comes to Austin Riley and his rookie campaign or the second year exploits of Ronald Acuna. And Ozzy Albies, of course, is not that much older either. And you also brought up the fact that, you know, financially speaking, the Braves are going to have to be a little bit I don't know if stealthier is the word, but they're certainly going to have to, you know, pick their shots. And the Acuna and Albies contracts most certainly, I think, help lay the foundation for the Braves' future going forward. But you start to complement those with the right kind of veteran players, and you've got Freddie Freeman in the prime of his career. The Braves took that flyer on Josh Donaldson, a very expensive flyer, and all of a sudden that one looks like it could pay off big time with the way he's swinging the bat of late. You've still got Nick Markakis. You've got Brian McCann who's come in. Those two veterans have certainly done the job. Dansby Swanson's emerging, and you talked about the depth of the Dodgers, and this is something that I think we've talked about a lot this year. The Braves' depth now is so far and above anything I think that we've seen, and I know, Ben, you and I have both watched a lot of Braves baseball in our lives, but I don't remember an offense quite like this one that we've seen, at least in the sample size of the last maybe month or so. This is something very different for the Atlanta Braves. They seem like a total package. I feel like if you go back to the 2003 year, like you referenced earlier, they put up so many runs and lots of homers. Go back to 2013 and 14 when you had the Uptons here and Ugla and Hayward and Freeman and those guys are hitting lots of home runs. But I don't want to call those, those teams one-trick ponies, but they are much closer to that than I think this team is. It just seems like a very good recipe top to bottom. And going back to that NLDS last year, I was just I was jealous of what the Dodgers had in their order. They had Yasiel Puig batting eighth, and I sure. was thinking this guy would be a cleanup hitter for the Braves. And they, and they had Max Muncie, and they had Austin Barnes, and they had Brian Dozier, and I mean so many names that they could just throw out there. And it, whether you were throwing a lefty or a righty, you might get two completely different lineups. Um, and, and that's how deep that, that that team was. And I remember watching those guys and thinking, this is what it takes. I mean, this is what you got to have. I mean, they got guys on the bench that are making $10 million and not getting a whole lot of playing time. But it, 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 obviously, you'd like to be able to, to have that without that kind of a price tag. But I knew at that point that the Braves were overmatched from a depth uh, perspective. And I felt like they had to find a way to combat that. And if they were able to get back and take on the Dodgers, they have to have that kind of depth. They have to have that ability to switch up the lineup a little bit should they want to righty versus lefty and have big bats coming off the bench and have uh, a guy batting sixth or seventh they can hit the ball out of the ballpark. They didn't have that last year, and I think that they do now. And to me, that's what it's going to take not to win the division but to make some noise in the postseason. I think what they have right now, Grant, top to bottom, if you didn't change anything, they might they might could win the division with what they currently have. Uh, that doesn't mean that you just sit on your hands. I think they have to be extremely active and find a way to go get what they need. But to me, what they address, what they are able to obtain between now and the trade deadline, not only gives them the boost to win the division, but I think that's what you're, you're what you really need to get in gear to win in the postseason. And and that's what this team is is missing. So I think this lineup, going back to your question, sure, it is different from what we saw in 03 and and 14. Uh, it, it does seem like a total package. It does seem like a lineup that can give pitchers fits, grind counts. Uh, we saw how much they frustrated Trevor Bauer back oh, yeah. when, in that Cleveland series. We've seen them beat Max Scherzer. We've seen them beat Jacob DeGrom. Uh, they know what it takes to, to go up with a good, steady approach against an ace pitcher and win a baseball game. And I don't think that they've had the lineups in years past to do that. And, and this one seems like they do. So, the way that they flow together and the way that this whole thing is put together just seems like a really good recipe for a good deep lineup top to bottom. Now can they stay healthy? That's the biggest question. Yeah, health is something that we find out over the course of 162, and every team's going to have that injury or injuries that could change the course of that. And we, of course, hope everyone stays healthy and makes it through the year. But there will be a change of plans at some point, one would imagine. Uh, but I guess that's one of those bridges you'll cross when you get there. On the flip side of the coin, it was you look at the Braves' offense doing what it needs to do. The Braves' pitching staff has been one that I think has, you know, had some question marks this year, and some of those have been answered internally. Max Fried, I think, answered a question for the Braves. Mike Soroka answered a question, most certainly for the Braves in rotation. Atlanta's still figuring out, you know, how they're going to deploy some of the other pieces. The bullpen has been a complete work in progress, but the pitching staff is getting a pretty notable addition heading into the weekend against the Washington Nationals as Dallas Keuchel. The 2015 Cy Young Award winner in the American League who signed a one-year deal, we'll call it that. It's really more of a four-month deal. 
he'll jump into the Braves rotation. And I know lots of people, Ben, were clamoring for Craig Kimbrell to be the big addition for the Braves. But I, I really feel like the Keiko move, it seems like more of a piece of the puzzle and more of the right move for the Braves in that I think it would have been a lot harder to acquire a starting pitcher in terms of the prospect price and the other things that go into it before the trade deadline than it will be to answer the question about the relievers. But Dallas Keuchel in and of himself, I mean, think about what message this sends, not just to Braves fans, but to the 25 guys in that clubhouse that Dallas Keuchel is about to be in uniform with for the next few months. This is something to get excited about. And oh, by the way, this is a guy who could be a difference maker for the Braves. Sure could. And and it's not just, he's not a guy who comes over at the deadline and you've got him for two months. I like that you make this move and there's still a month and a half, a little bit less than a month and a half to make more moves coming up on the trade deadline. And I expect him to do that. Uh, my expectations for Keuchel are the best stuff that we see out of him probably won't come till what, August? Sure. I mean, this guy never had a spring training. He did throw 101 pitches the other night at Mississippi, but I don't think you can just roll out there in a double-A game or a game at Rome and, and, and duplicate the adrenaline rush of a Major League Baseball game. I think it's going to take him some time to, to get strong and, and get back out there and get back into the swing of things. His ability is there. I mean, what we saw to this guy in 15 and 17 was really, really good. Two seamers outstanding. You go back to 2016, he fell in love with that slider a little bit too much and then went right back to being heavy on the two-seamer the following year, and that's when his numbers were really good again. That's the guy I'm expecting. It might take three, four starts before he becomes that, but that's fine. I think whatever he gives you is going to be better than some of the question marks that you had towards the back end of your rotation. And I think by the time we get to August 1 and for the final two months of the season – there's, I've got no reason to believe he couldn't be one of your top two pitchers. And my expectation is that he would be that. If the Braves are into the postseason, I'd expect he and Soroka in some uh, form to be one and two uh, going out in, the, in a division series. So that's my expectation for him. Now can he go out there and match that? I think that he can. And I think giving this rotation a boost like that is, is so big because there are so many question marks in this rotation. And, and Grant, you and I have talked about that before. The best way to help your bullpen is by having starters who can go deeper every single night. Yep. This guy's been an innings eater. I mean, he's been 200 innings or more three times in the last five years, and, and, and that's what you're looking for. Not that he can hit 200 innings this year, but hopefully a guy who can go out there and get six, seven innings every five days. He does that. That's going to help the bullpen out a ton. I, I feel like they need to add another starter, if at all possible. We'll see. But this is a huge step. Uh, towards accomplishing some of your goals. And just line it up one through five. Uh, see what you have. I, I, I love what we've seen out of Mike Soroka. I love what we've seen out of Max Freed. Very confident in those two guys. If Dallas Keiko can be what he was in 15 and 17, or even last year he wasn't all that bad, I, I think you feel really good about that. After that, Julio Tehran's a flip of the coin. Mike Fultonevich, I'm not so sure about. Uh, we, we've all seen, I think we've all lost a lot of confidence in Kevin Gossman, what confidence we had to begin with. So you needed questions to be answered, and he's a, he's a large answer to a big question in that rotation. Uh, and, and now if you can find some way in the next five, six weeks to add another guy into that rotation, Bumgarner, whomever, man, you're really talking about something special in your rotation and something that could match what you have with your lineup, uh, a, an elite lineup, and maybe, you, I don't know if you'd say an elite pitching staff if you're able to add another starter, but it would be a lot closer to that than otherwise. Uh, and, and I feel like, look, offense is going to help you a lot during the regular season, but you've got to have those arms in the postseason. You can't rely on your offense going out there and just bashing everybody nine to eight every single night in the postseason. You've got to have those arms. So Dallas Keuchel is a big, big ad, and I'm excited to see what he looks like. Uh, two times an all-star, should have a lot of tread left on that tires. He's only 31 years old, I believe. Uh, so I know he's excited about it, and so are we. And now let's see what else they can add between now and the end of July. And I think they're definitely going to add something to the bullpen before the trade deadline. I'm not sure where they go with it or how many arms might be coming in, but there should be a lot of relievers out there for the taking. As you look across baseball, there are an awful lot of division races that are a little bit wider than the four- or five-game lead that we're talking about in the National League East. I mean, you've got teams with double-digit leads or close to it across the American League. And, of course, out in the West, you've got the Dodgers doing the thing the Dodgers do, uh, which every year you just come to expect from them. But I think the Braves will be active, as you said earlier. There's no reason for them not to be. Whether they add another starter, we'll find out. But they've got to add a couple of arms, I think, in the bullpen to finally stabilize that mix. And it is starting to look like they may need to really look at 
what exactly is out there in terms of closers. It may not be the big name like Craig Kimbrell, but if you find somebody that's got some experience in that ninth inning, I think that would go a long way towards allowing everybody to really slot in, get comfortable, know their role, and come out there and execute it. It would give you something that you definitely don't have now, and that's a lights-out ninth-inning guy. Uh, some of the arms that they have in the bullpen now are, are, are really good arms, and I think would be even better served if they were getting out in the sixth and seventh inning rather than the eighth and the ninth. Uh, I applaud the, the job that Luke Jackson has done. I don't think he's a closer in this league, but he's done a pretty good job in a spot that I, I think is a lot of times he's overmatched for. I think Luke would be a really good seventh or eighth inning guy. And if you're able to find a, a, a closer who could come in and, and be an experienced ninth inning guy, that would help so much and, and would, would bolster your bullpen because so many of those guys are getting out to the eighth and ninth. All of a sudden, you restack the deck. They're getting out to the sixth and the seventh. And it just gives you a whole lot more depth. I think you bring up a really good point with the division standings because looking at the six divisions that are out there right now, you got the AL East, and that, those two teams are separated by less than five games. Same thing with the National League East, same thing with the National League Central. Outside of that, you've got three divisions where the second-place team is eight, nine, ten games back. Right. And, and I think that, that forces those teams to be sellers much earlier in the season than maybe you would, uh, you'd expect in other years. And, and, and I look at these names that are out there, like Felipe Vasquez. Would be, that'll be a humongous name that no gets doubt. moved. I, I fully expect the Pirates to move him. That team's in last place. They're seven and a half games out of first place. They're probably not in sell mode yet, but they know that's got to be on the horizon and coming. It's not just the fact that they're seven and a half games back. You've got four teams in front of you. Uh, if, if they have the opportunity to make a move to grab a couple of prospects, why wouldn't they? Same thing in the, with the Giants and Will Smith and, and Madison Bumgarner. They are almost 20 games out of first place. Why wouldn't they want to strike now? and try to grab two or three prospects, especially that team, which has such a depleted farm system. Mm -hmm. They really have nothing to be excited about in their farm system. Uh, the, the Diamondbacks are, are 13 games out of first place. They're a 500 baseball team. Well, they have Greg Holland sitting there. I think lots of teams would be happy to go out there and, and throw you two, three prospects for him. Uh, the list goes on and on. Mike Miner in Texas, that's a second-place team, but they're seven and a half games out of first place. And maybe they feel like, okay, well, we can make a push for the wild card. And they, and they can because they're tight on the wild card right now. And maybe they'd be a little bit more reluctant to sell early. But, but the point is you have lots of teams who are stacked so much lower in the deck than they thought that they would be right now, therefore making them a seller earlier than they thought that they would be. And I think for a team like the Braves, who's going to be shopping in the same aisle as the Twins, as the Yankees, as the Rays, as the Phillies, as the Brewers, as the Cubs. All these teams are looking for the same thing. And I think the quicker you're able to grab what you need, the better you are. You get that guy in your uniform earlier, get him more appearances, and more importantly, he's pitching for you, not for some other team that you're competing against. Uh, so I think that really makes it interesting leading up to the trade deadline and how not only who can the Braves grab, but how quickly can they make a move. And the Braves are going to make moves, but they will not be alone. There'll be a lot of competition out there for those arms. Obviously, teams will go out looking for that one bat they might be missing as well. That's kind of the fun as we get toward the all-star break and then get toward that trade deadline. And now there's only one trade deadline. We're not waiting into August to see who's available on waivers anymore. you got to get those moves made. So, like you said, Ben, I think that sense of urgency is going to be there for some clubs to go ahead and cash in on some of those chips sooner than later. So that's what's going on. With the 2019 pennant races across baseball, just a lot of them seem to be kind of foregone conclusions at this point. Miracles can happen, but uh, we'll see exactly how all that plays out over the next 80 or so games. Let's, though, get off in the weeds for a little bit, which would be a great name for another podcast, but probably not one about baseball. Uh, fans are hearing a lot of you this year, Ben, calling the action alongside Jim Powell and Joe Simpson on the Braves Radio Network. Road to a big league booth, though, is filled with minor league bus rides and long nights, and it's a story in and of itself, and it's one that you've lived. I wonder if you could just kind of tell us how you broke in and when you decided that this baseball broadcasting thing was really what you wanted to do. Well, I think having the desire to do it came really, really early. Figuring out how to do it came much later, and that's the hard part because I, I don't think that there's one – direct road for everybody. I think there are so many different paths to the big leagues, not only for players, but also, also for broadcasters and umpires and uh, front office people and things like that. I think for me, it was just about, okay, how can I figure this thing out? Because I knew from the time I was eight, nine, 10 years old, this is what I wanted to pursue. I just, I couldn't really explain it. It's just something that I was drawn to and I'm just baseball, but baseball on the radio. And 
I, I decided I was going to give it a run. And I still had that desire through high school and uh, finished playing and had that desire going into college and was trying to figure out how to do uh, more in this industry, get behind a microphone, talk to the right people and see what kind of doors opened up. And fortunately for me, through a lot of hard work and prayer, on top of all that, doors just opened. And I just went with it. And I was I was not someone who um, shied away from from uh, paying the dues. I, I, in fact, I kind of embraced it. I didn't mind going to the other side of the country for a minor league job. I didn't mind doing independent baseball and, and making no money. It, it, I was calling games, and that's all that mattered to me. And uh, for me, it was just uh, constantly listening to my stuff, critiquing my stuff over and over again. I think in any time uh, a young broadcaster asked me how they can get better, I'd tell them you have to be your biggest critic and you have to rip your stuff apart mm-hmm. and, and find what you like, what you don't like, and continue to work at it. And, and the good news about broadcasting baseball is you have that opportunity every single night. Uh, and something that you might not have liked last week or last night or last month, you can go out there and do a better job of it tonight and tomorrow night and the night after that. Sound like the NBA or the NFL where you're getting one game a week or two or three games a week. We do this every single day. And, and I think that really forces broadcasters to really dig down and say, do I really have what it takes to go after this? And, and also, do I have the work ethic to try to get better every single day? And that was my mentality through six years of, of minor league baseball and, and before that three years of broadcasting uh, collegiate athletics at Mississippi College when I was in school doing football, baseball, and basketball. I wanted to always say yes anytime somebody asked me to broadcast. So I broadcasted all kinds of different things. It wasn't just baseball. I, I broadcasted uh, a Christmas parade one time just to have the, uh, the experience of doing something different. Sure. I, I broadcasted all sorts of different things. And, and that was my goal. I've done talk shows and things like that. And I just knew if I could get behind the mic over and over and over and over again and do a wide variety of things, it would make me better at the one thing that I wanted to be really good at, and that's broadcasting baseball. So to me, it was just about the persistence and and being patient because it was, it it took a while to get to where I wanted to be. Uh, And and broadcasting in the minor leagues isn't the most fun thing in the world. It's definitely got its perks and and it's definitely got some fun days. But uh, like you said, you're riding buses and you're broadcasting in front of no one and you're, you're going to ballparks that, probably should have been condemned decades earlier no making kidding. no money to do it and it, it, it's a struggle because there's so so many places where you're broadcasting and you feel like you're light years away from where you want to be you feel like you're in another galaxy from from the big leagues but those are the kinds of uh those are the kinds of places and experiences i feel like you need uh, that can channel you to becoming the broadcaster that you're looking to become and that's the advice that i would give any young broadcaster because that's what worked for me and uh, you also have to have a side of, uh, I've got to figure this out on my own, and, and I've got to take my own path. I, I can't copy uh, that guy's path or this guy over there. I, if, if there's a, a a path there that I can blaze, and I've got to find my way, because there's not just one way to the big league. So uh, those are all the things that I learned and try to put into practice and just continue to try to get better and uh, throw in luck as well. And I had that on my side with timing and everything with this organization and being around at the right time, and, and it worked out for me. Man, that's a great list of stuff, and, and so many of those things, I mean, you know, as we've talked about over the years, we've known each other for about a decade now, which is pretty crazy, because it seems like if you stop and think about it, yeah, it's been quite a while, but then it, it kind of seems like, you know, time passes very quickly at times as well, right. even when you're kind of working through the steps of getting to where you want to be or having opportunities that you'd like to have, but so many different things that you put out there that I can identify with, and I'm sure could be helpful for you know, young broadcasters and people just in general when it comes to having to stick with it and really chase something that you want to do. And for you and I, minor league baseball is play-by-play guys. That's a stop we both made. You know, those bus rides, all the fun stuff that comes with it, calling games in front of six people. Yes, that actually happened. I actually did that one time. Uh, (laughs) What are your memories of minor league baseball when you look back on it? I always tell people I didn't make any money doing it, but it's a time in my life and experience that I would never trade for anything. No, you wouldn't. I think it's very fraternal in a way because you, you learn so much. And, and for anyone who wants to be in the big leagues to any capacity, I would, and I know that not, uh, not everybody does this. So there, there are folks who've never spent a single day in the minor leagues. But it's the minor leagues, it's, it's not just for players there to learn and hone their craft and get better. It's there for all of us. And, and I think that I had, there's so many things I had to learn, whether it was how to, how to go about 
um, not just to play by play for nine innings, but how to go about walking into a clubhouse, how to establish a relationship with a manager and, and the training staff and, and the actual players, who to talk to, who's going to give me information. Uh, how do I go about getting that information without coming across as, as creepy and weird? Uh, I, I wanted to be one of the guys. I wanted to be a, a name that those guys could trust. And then I wasn't going to go on the air reporting uh, on a broadcast as if I worked for TMZ. I think I needed to learn all those things in the minor leagues. And you learn perseverance and you learn patience and uh, you learn to grind with those same guys because they have the same goal that you do. Uh, I knew that in order for me to get where I wanted to be, not only did I have to worry about getting better every single day, I needed to spend time around like-minded people. I needed to spend time around people whose goal was also the big leagues, whose goal was also to be the best broadcaster they could be. And at the time, I was I was very, very lucky to be in the Southern League at a time where there are so many really good broadcasters in that league. And, and it wasn't a competition. It was it was almost like we were on the same team. We were all pulling for each other, even though we were broadcasting for different teams. Our careers, uh, we, we wanted our careers to go to the same place. And I was in the same league with uh, J.P. Shatterick, who's now doing Jacksonville Jaguars football, and uh, Joe Davis, who's now on TV for the Dodgers, right. and Wayne Randazzo, who does radio for the Mets. Um, and, and we would talk all the time. Even if we weren't playing each other, we're texting each other, calling each other, and, and just sharing ideas and maybe we had different sounds, but I don't see it any different as, as a, a group of musicians or bands who know each other. Maybe you play slightly different music, but everybody's goal is the same thing. Uh, you're trying to get that record label. You're trying to get that big deal. You're trying to become a, a household name with your, with your music career or your band. I thought it was the same thing for us. Uh, and, and I felt like we we're all in the same place at the same time and helping each other get better. And, and challenging one another. And uh, we, we, I remember sitting around, man, did you hear that call that, that JP had last night? That was amazing. I want to have a call that good or better. Sure. And, and it, it would just go all the way around, and you have all these uh, conversations. I think that helped a ton, having friends who were like-minded and were talented, and you all wanted to go to the same place. And uh, Wayne was just in town with the Mets this past uh, three-game series. We had a really good conversation about, wow, look at, look at how this whole thing developed because – 10, 11 years ago, we were on the buses in the Southern League and going all over the place, hoping that what we had was going to be good enough. And, and it paid off. And I told him, I said, it's, it's not just what we did on our own. I think we all helped each other get to this platform together. And that's a, that's a really cool thing to share, a really cool bond. Uh, but I, I think that's a, a big part of it. Those are some of the memories that I will take is, is learning how to achieve a goal. I think people ask me all the time, wow, broadcasting Major League Baseball and doing it for the Braves, it's, that's got to be uh, a dream come true. And, and it is to a degree, but more than that, it's, it's a goal achieved. Uh, I, I think when it comes to saying, well, that's a dream that came true, well, that's almost like something that you couldn't obtain on your own, on your own merit. It just fell into your lap. Well, that's not the case with this. This is a, a goal realized and a goal achieved. This was setting my mind to something and going for it and having a very – direct approach and being very, very intentional with my decisions. And I think when, and that's not just for broadcasting, I think that's for life in general. Sure. I think if you have a very uh, intentional desire and you, you really take your time to methodically approach that and pursue it upon getting to where you want to, to be, that's not a dream come true. That's a goal realized. You did that. You achieved that. And, and I think being around like-minded people helps you do that. So Looking back on my minor league days, lots of lots of funny stories along the way. If I were to ever write a book, I guarantee you that three fourths of it would come from minor league stories. Because the higher you go in baseball, the less funny the, the stories become. I feel because once you get here, it's a it's a job, a career, and everybody's a lot more serious. But uh, it, it's some funny days and and some days where you're learning a lot about yourself and learning a lot about your field and how to succeed. Well, let me get one story from you. I know I don't want to take away from the book if you do end up writing it, and I know you've shared quite a few stories with me over the years that I certainly have uh, appreciated, and you're certainly right. I mean, the minor leagues is a proving ground for a lot of things and also a an endless supply of, I think, memories and moments and funny stories and all kinds of other things mixed together. Tell me a little bit about your first big league game when you got the opportunity to step into that big league booth and sit down behind that microphone I know you've had quite a few since then, but I would imagine that that's the one that you really never forget. So uh, walk us through that day. That was April 29th, 2011. And I, I remember the date extremely well. I remember when I got the job here, they told me that 
there would be days where Jim was out or Don was out and I'd be able to fill in and maybe I'd be able to call a dozen games a year. And to me, that was the best part. The whole, I wanted to broadcast major league baseball and I wasn't as crazy about doing pregame and postgame as I was the actual game. So my calling pre and post was just a means to call actual major league games because play by play is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure when that would come. I knew that it, at some point in my first year, which was 2011, it would come. But I had no idea when, where, any of that stuff, uh, which was really cool, just having the the unknown of this could just spring up at any time. And it was late April, so we were about a month into the season, and Jim had told uh, our bosses that, hey, I'm not feeling well. Uh, Maybe Ben could do a few innings. I think Don was out that series. I know it was Jim and Lemmer. And and Jim had been battling a, a sore throat, and maybe there'd be a chance to do some innings. So they told me to just be ready. And I, I, maybe they'll use me this night. Maybe they won't. So I was sitting up in the press box like I was a reliever sitting in the bullpen. That's what it felt like. I think a lot of times you, you would know, okay, you're going to be calling a game this day, and that'll be your first game. Yeah. For me, that wasn't the case. It was just stand by the phone and wait. So I'm in the writing press area of, of the Turner Field press box that night and just hoping that they'd call my name and the first inning passes and the second inning passes. We get to the top of the third inning, and Jim texts me and says, would you be available to do the fourth, fifth, and sixth, and maybe even the seventh? I said, hell yes. So he, <laughs> he said, okay, we'll be down here in the bottom of the third. You're going on to the top of the fourth inning. So I get in there, and, and I've got Jim on one side of me. I've got Lemmer on the other side. Jim is on my left. Lemmer's on my right. And there it is. And we come back from break, and they toss it to me, and boom, you're on. Wow. And it was uh, it was a game against the St. Louis Cardinals, and I'm looking in the bottom of the third inning as as we're going through the bottom of that inning. I'm looking at the Cardinals lineup at the top of the fourth. I'm thinking, who's the first hitter I'm going to get? Oh wow, it's going to be Albert Pujols. So that's the first batter I ever wow. called to the big leagues. It was a future Hall of Famer. And just sitting there in the ballpark that night, it was it was a, a weekend series against the uh, against the Cardinals. And the place was slammed, and it was a Friday night, and I just remember sitting there in that in that booth, and it's almost like, I, I don't know, it's just it's almost like you're on stage in front of all these people. I mean, none of them are looking at you, but I just never sat at a stadium behind a microphone doing play-by-play with that many people out there. And that's what I'll remember. Nate McLeod hit a home run at the top of the seventh inning. It's the first home run I ever called. And I got four innings that night and just couldn't believe – what had just happened uh, at the end of it all. And then I, I was told that Jim was not going to be able to work the next day. And I did all nine innings the next day. And from there on, it's like, okay, well, it's, you got to get to work and <laughs> no more of the, uh, the, the all time first and relishing the moment. You got to get to work and, and put in the play by play and tell people what's going on. But uh, that, that night I remember very, very vividly and, and we'll never forget. It was uh, something that I thought a long time about. And I still think a, a lot about that night. Well, tremendous opportunity and a tremendous amount of work that went into getting you there. And as you said, you know, if you continue to stick to it and and live intentionally, I think that these are the kind of things and the kind of doors that will open for you uh, when you really apply yourself, not only to just, you know, a career pursuit, but life in general. So uh, obviously it's been over eight years now, but congratulations on that game and all the games that have followed. It's a tremendous opportunity and a lot of fun to listen to you each and every night that I get to on Braves Radio. Ben Ingram, appreciate all your time, appreciate your friendship as well, and uh, look forward to many of our baseball chats, both on and off the air, and it's been a lot of fun to chat with you here on From the Diamond. First time I've been able to have you on the podcast, and hopefully we'll be able to do it again sometime soon. Yeah, let's do it. A lot of good things to talk about, exciting to talk about this team, and I appreciate you bringing me on and sharing some time with me. Thanks again to Ben Ingram, my guest today on From the Diamond. Make sure you're following Ben on Twitter, at Ingram Radio is where you can find him there, and you can hear him throughout the summer and hopefully all the way into the fall on the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. So thanks so much for Ben for making some time, and thank you for making some time for From the Diamond this week. Lots of exciting Braves stories. Got to chat about a lot of those. Got to catch up with Ben, kind of talk about the team and hear how exactly he got to the big league level as well. And I think it's fun to share that kind of personal side of the game. Everybody's got a story, whether they're a player, a broadcaster, an usher, a team executive, whoever it is. It's a long road to get to the major leagues, but kind of a fun road. And wanted to share a little bit of that with you on this episode. If you like what you heard on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews always appreciated. And be sure you're following along on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscores where you can find the show. 
and I am at Grant McCauley. That's G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And from the diamond.com, that's where you can find everything all summer long. Thanks so much for making some time. I look forward to chatting some Braves and baseball with you again next time on From the Diamond. We'll have some Dallas Keuchel news to discuss and see how the Braves fare on their 10-game road trip. Appreciate your time and hope all of you are having a great weekend or week whenever you're listening to this. And look forward to catching you again soon on From the Diamond. Until then, so long, everyone.